It was the biggest missile attack on Kyiv yet Monday night in uh, the 14, almost 15-month-old Russo-Ukraine war. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Green with Bill Whittle and Scott Ott, and this is Right Angle, brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. Uh, gentlemen, we haven't done a Ukraine war update, and uh, the Monday attack interests me for a, a couple of reasons, and some of them aren't really, really military. But let me give you the rundown of what happened. Um, uh, author and uh, Kiev residents, uh, Alexander Sherba said it sounded like the biggest missile onslaught on Kiev. Onslaught on Kiev. Our air defense is busy, busy, busy. And another observer called it an unprecedented air defense show. Uh, incoming Russian missiles, outgoing Ukrainian air defense missiles. Apparently, they fired off an entire Patriot. Uh, battery worth of uh, anti-missile missiles. Um, military analyst Rob Lee, he's one of my go-to guys because he's uh, he's very sharp, he's very well-informed, and he's generally not political at all. Uh, he said, clearly, Russia launched a diversity of missiles and drones from different directions to try and confuse Ukrainian air defenses. And what got me, this is just how much things have changed in the last 70 or 80 years, instead of, you know, a fleet of bombers turning the, the, the sky down, dark. Uh, this was 18, just 18 uh, missiles and drones. There were six of Russia's air-launched uh, Kinzhal missiles, which are uh, supposed to be hypersonic, but there's some debate about whether or not they really are. Uh, nine caliber sea-launched cruise missiles, three ground-based uh, Iskander missiles, and a half dozen Iranian-made uh, kamikaze drones. Um, apparently, the attack was, was not much of excess. Uh, Ukraine claims to have shot down all 18 incoming missiles and drones. Uh, we don't have that confirmed yet. But the uh, the primary target doesn't seem to have been Kiev's electrical system. The lights are all on. Uh, it doesn't seem to have been any major civilian targets. Nothing seems to have been hit. Uh, Russia claims to have taken out one of those U.S.-made Patriot batteries. That seems to have been the actual target. Uh, and there's some fuzzy video of something that might have been part of a Patriot battery. Uh, it's the it's the uh, the radar set that's the heart of a Patriot system. If the Russians destroyed anything, it seems to have been one of the uh, one of the launchers, which at that point was probably depleted, and that's the easiest, cheapest part to replace is a is an empty missile launcher. Uh, Bill, this really gets me. This is the biggest attack on Kiev so far. It doesn't seem to have done anything, and the primary target seems to be mostly unscathed. Um, we're both old enough to remember when missile defense was called Star Wars as a big old joke on that yeah. idiot Ronald Reagan. Uh, what are we learning about that, in fact? Well, it's certainly getting better. And if you just want to confine the discussion to um, missile defense, the Israeli Iron Dome system is phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, Patriot's a damn good missile and, and so on. I, I don't buy the uh, Russian explanation for this. There's only one when they if they say we're we're launching all these missiles to attack an anti-aircraft battery, a, a, an air defense position, right? There's only one reason to do that, and that is suppression of enemy air defenses. You would attack Patriot sites preparatory to an airstrike, and if there's no follow-up airstrike, then there's absolutely no reason to waste offensive missiles on a battery designed to shoot them down. I'm utterly convinced it's a terror attack on on Kiev. It's yeah. just designed to to terrorize people. It's designed to to keep the you know keep the stakes up. The uh, the big Russian counteroffensive that we've been hearing about since you know January just didn't happen. Um, and uh, I suspect that they're getting really quite concerned as uh, we approach counteroffensive season because 
uh, obviously last year the Ukrainians pushed the, the Russians back pretty hard yeah. and they did it without uh, without many of the Western ground weapons that we have now offensive weapons the first the first year was was Ukraine pretty much on defense using javelin missiles to stop Russian tanks now they've got leopard tanks and they'll have m1s and they've yeah. got uh, they've got offensive capability they didn't have a, really any offensive capability last year and they rolled most of the Russian gains back to where they started from. I think this is important because because from the very beginning, this this has been a war of morale for me uh, in oh, terms yeah. of what what the single what the single great uh, determinant on this particular um, front is is morale. And the Ukrainians were on their heels at this time last year. The the, the after the big uh, Ukrainian offensive, counteroffensive last year, we were told that Russia was going to come out with their 300,000 recruits and they're just going to basically just steamroll the country. Ukraine had just hours to live, that kind of thing. I don't think they got past Bakhmut. They're still not past Bakhmut. And when you hear stories, I saw one earlier today that said that the uh, guy who's the head of the Wagner Group, that's their the Russian private mercenary army that uh, used to serve Putin and now is pretty much in... in uh, He's got a couple of, of beefs with, with Vlad. There was a story reported, and it's always fog of war and stuff, but it sounds believable, where the guy who's in charge of of the Wagner, Wagner group basically said to the Ukrainians, you let our guys out of here, and we'll tell you where the Russian positions are. Now, if that's true, that's not the sign of, uh, of a highly motivated, tightly integrated you know, yeah. a death-dealing, lightning-fast blitzkrieg machine. Um, there was no follow-up to the suppression of air defenses because there's nothing to follow them up with. So I think he's just throwing rocks at people, frankly, Steve. And um, having finished the uh, eight-part Empire of Terror back in March, this is what this is what the Soviets do. And I'll just say this again, I've said it many times, Vladimir Putin not only tried to join the KGB when he was 16 and was rejected, came back and did it again when he was 18. Uh, Vladimir Putin was not born in St. Petersburg. Vladimir Putin was born in Leningrad. And what many people don't know is that Lenin was a, a loner, not a people person. Uh, after he was shot, uh, assassination attempt on his life by Fanny Kaplan, he, he went to a a small, bigger than a dacha, but smaller than a mansion called Gorky. And he had six staff members there. He had four bodyguards, he had a secretary, and he had a cook. That cook lived with Vladimir Lenin for two, three years when nobody else had access. It was just the cook and Lenin and his sister and his wife, Krupskaya. And after Lenin died, that cook was deemed to be so um, loyal and so safe that Stalin took the cook into his own compound, and the cook lived with Stalin for 35 years. And that cook's name was uh, Spiridon Putin, Vladimir Putin's grandfather. Uh, he was, Vladimir was 13 when Spiridon died. And so you got to understand that Vladimir Putin was sitting on the knee of the guy who had the, the most intimate ringside seat on the rise and fall of the Soviet Union than any other person living or dead. No one lived with Lenin. No one lived with Stalin. He lived with both of them. And and if you don't understand that about him, you look at we, we look at the yeah. Soviet system as an as, a, as an atrocity and a monstrosity because that's what it was. For Vladimir Putin, this was this was 
this was the shining city on a hill. This is his ideal. And and the the, the Soviets uh, were not widely known for being extra, extra careful about preserving the lives of their own citizens. <laughs> and and they're not doing that today either. Oh man. Uh, I just throw can I just throw one more thing? Yeah, please. Because I have because I have a Russian wife and, and I get access to first hand accounts of what Russian people hear and so on. If you listen to the state media, and a lot of Russians do, they're convinced that this is a battle for Russia's uh, very survival now, that that the entire thing is orchestrated by NATO and the United States and Great Britain, designed that, that the entire reason there's a war is because of NATO encroachment and, and uh, all of these other things. And for a country that invaded Hungary in, in 56 and Czechoslovakia in 68 and Poland in 80 and whose communist armies left North Korea into the South in 1950, left North Vietnam into the South in the early 1960s. The Russian people seem to be amazed that there's a defensive alliance out there designed to stop their aggression, and they justify their aggression based on the fact that they're encircled. So they're in a bit of a pickle as far as their psychology is concerned. Yeah, and the the thing that gets me, Bill, to, to kind of add on that is um, I was never in favor of NATO expansion. You can read stuff of Akapana going way, 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 way back. I was always against it. But that said, um, NATO didn't conquer any countries. NATO expansion was former Warsaw Pact countries, former Soviet-dominated countries like Hungary and Poland knocking down the door to get let in to NATO. Yep. And and now because of Vladimir Putin, we have uh, Finland and Sweden are, are making strong bids to be yeah. um, NATO countries. So the encirclement will continue. And this is the this is the Russian mindset. It's that we're surrounded by enemies, so we must attack all the time to put a buffer between us. And they are the people that instigate these. Um, they're the they're the 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 instigators. The actions begin at at the border, and when the Russian tanks are moving, they're moving outside the border into other people's countries. And then they look around and go, "My God, it's so unfair that we're encircled by by the West, who's formed this uh, international alliance to uh, to keep us down." It's like if you guys weren't trying so hard to um, to uh, stop out other countries so you can have a buffer, we wouldn't have to keep you down. You you could join the community of nations and be a be a real country like you know, pretty much every other country that, in that, that would be blood soaked continent. Yeah, uh, the other thing Bill reminded me of Scott is uh, the London Blitz. German attempts to terrorize Great Britain into submission that Never didn't works. work. Uh, the the, uh, the the missile war between Iran and Iraq. The Iran Iraq war had been going on for four or five years, just bloody. St- made endless fighting, so they just started lobbing missiles at one another capital city. That didn't stop anything. And now here we are, uh, every couple, three weeks, Russia lobs a bunch of missiles at Kiev trying to break their will. What, what is it about people? I don't want to talk about the military stuff, Scott. What is it about people that when faced with a not winning situation that it would probably just be better to extract ourselves from, just start lobbing missiles at people sort of randomly, hoping that this time it'll work? Yeah, it's kind of a desperate attempt to not lose face. Um, you know, you, you don't you don't want to just go skulking off the playground after you got in a in a showdown with somebody. You want to be able to retain some shred of dignity. Um, and all the coverage in recent weeks about Bakhmut has been, you know, the preparations for the Ukrainian counteroffensive and how even though Russia has been making some progress, almost like block by block, uh, as, as they're in the process of just leveling this city, the Every news story I ever read about it basically says it's a useless 
accomplishment. Like even if you take Bakhmut, you don't. It's no strategic. Yeah, you don't have anything. And so there's another city just like it on the other side. Yeah, and so they've exhausted themselves and all their and and their resources, and they've slaughtered thousands of their men. People in a in a hopeless attempt to take a useless city, and that's become it's. I was going to say they've become a laughingstock, but it's not that. It's really sad. It's 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 just they've beclowned themselves. And That's so throwing some missiles at a significant objective like Kiev uh, seems like you're doing something, even if you're doing nothing, because those missiles are all being shot down, um, according to Ukrainian sources. And it's always, again, fog of war, hard to tell what's really yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I but always the, take those claims with a grain of salt. The, some of, the, some of the, the fires that have been seen on the ground after the missile attacks were really just debris that had hit a couple of vehicles and set them ablaze. and. Uh, but there wasn't great harm on the ground. And and not only uh, was Germany losing during the Blitz on London, but they were cementing British and Western opposition to Germany. Like the people of Britain came together in a way that, frankly, they, they, they couldn't in any other way, um, literally huddled together underground as the bombs rained above them, steeled their resolve to fight back to the last man if necessary. And that's what was, you know, and, and Churchill showing up in those places, you know, after the raids, um, all of that served to defeat Hitler. <laughs> and Germany uh, when, you know, he thought he was terrorizing Britain. And I think the same thing, you're going to see the same kind of resolve among the people of Ukraine who are, are have been through this before. They've outlasted it before. Um, I just heard a report this morning that the American tanks have landed in Germany where Ukrainian soldiers, uh, tank crews are going to be trained for, in the use of these several dozen of these, uh, you know, super high-tech tanks. And um, all of this in preparation for when Ukraine really strikes back. And the implication so far in the coverage I've seen anyway, is that Ukraine's strategy has been essentially be jello. Let the guy keep punching at the jello. <laughs> you know, just keep absorbing, absorbing, absorbing yeah. in an area that doesn't matter significantly strategically and let the, let the guy wear himself out, let your enemy wear himself out and then you come back and an attack and probably at a time of your own choosing in a way of your own choosing in a place that they don't expect and uh and so i i don't think it's going to go well for russia i can't make any predictions and it's all predictions in the past have been you know like (laughs) nothing ever in war nothing ever goes the way you think it will but um you know if anybody in russia is able to see this this uh, narrow cast, so to speak, um, we are not interested in taking over your country. We want a vacation there. We want to go there and and tour Moscow, and we want to go to St. Petersburg, and we want to go skiing, and we want to sell you and things, spend money, and buy things from you. We want we want your country to thrive. We want to learn to speak your incredible language. We want like this is the kind of people we are. We want to read your Let's literature. Not get carried away. We want to hear your music. You know. And, and all of this kind of stuff, like they don't, they have no idea if they're listening to Russian propaganda, the kind of people we really are um, and what we would really do if Vladimir Putin were either cast out of office and somebody took his place who was a more democratic bent or if Putin finally found a way to save face and back down and say, okay, that's it. You know, Ukraine, you're on your own. Um, things get better for Russia the moment they get the hell out of Ukraine.
Steve, yeah. one just thing you, yeah. you mentioned the Blitz in in, uh, in Great Britain. Uh, this might be a possible explanation for the missile attack, actually. Um, this this entire thing could be just entirely for home consumption back in Russia. Yeah, yeah. When when no. the um, when the blitz started, and all these Londoners were in there, uh, you know, in the in the tubes in the uh, underground bunkers and stuff, and they'd hear the bombs going off, and uh, became clear to Churchill that they had a couple of anti-aircraft batteries, and they had no radar guidance, they had searchlights, they couldn't see anything, they couldn't hit anything. But Churchill ordered that those guns fire all night long because the British people needed to hear that we were shooting back. You know, we weren't just taking it, we're shooting back. And and the sound of those anti-aircraft uh, guns going off, which at least early in, in the Blitz didn't hit anything, had an enormous psychological effect. I suspect there might be something like that in terms of, of Vladimir Putin basically saying to the Russian people, hey, we're still hitting them, you know, we're not, it's yeah. not like we're out of this fight, we just smash them, we'll smash them again and we'll smash them, we'll keep smashing them and... Okay. You, know, you, know, you also right. reminded me, I think, of my favorite story from the Blitz. Uh, refresh me here. I'm always a little out of date with my British monarchs. Uh, George VIII was king, correct? No, George VI. George VI, excuse me. And the queen was? Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth. No, no, no. She was queen after. Mm-hmm. Who was? Uh, no, no. Elizabeth, it was his wife was Elizabeth. Elizabeth, Okay. She was encouraged. She was the queen mother. She, okay, the queen's mother. That's right. She was encouraged. I'm positive about that one. Yeah, she was encouraged at one point during the Blitz to leave London, and she said, I will not leave London until the king leaves London, and the king will not leave London under any circumstances. And and after after Buckingham Palace was bombed, yeah. um, uh, the, that, the queen mother said, now I feel like I can face the EastEnders. You know, now I feel like I can go out in public again. Yeah, uh, just... That kind of bravery. We're seeing that 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 keep calm and carry on attitude in Kiev, and that's that's heartening. Uh, I've been trying to look at the uh, the big picture here, and if Ukraine survives this war, if there's still a Ukraine, whenever this thing finally ends, um, you know the 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 whole purpose. Forget the denazification BS. That's that's crap propaganda on Russia's part. Uh, the real the real thing was. Uh, Russia needed to destroy this country and reintegrate it as, as Russia as they feel is their historical right. Uh, and they didn't want NATO on their border and all the rest. But the, the, the irony here is that if Ukraine survives, uh, it is going to be trained and equipped to NATO standards very, very quickly after this war is finished. It might not be a member of NATO, but it's going to be a much more powerful military than the one that Russia uh, failed to destroy in February and March of last year. Um, and I'm looking at Poland, too. Poland is more than doubling. That's going to be the greatest land power in, in six, seven years. Yes. By far the mightiest ground force in Europe will be <laughs> yeah. Poland. No question. Poland's army is going to be larger than France's, larger than Britain's, larger than Germany. In fact, I think it's going to be larger than uh, France's and Germany's combined by the time this, this enlargement is finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're buying F-35 Lightning Stealth Fighters. Uh, they're buying not just M1 Abrams, but the uh, the new South Korean K2 Black Panther, which is arguably the best tank anybody is making right now. Um, uh, Poland is about to become uh, more powerful than it has been since the days of the Commonwealth before partition over 200 years ago. Uh, this is this is really something to see. And if Ukraine is not a part of NATO at some point after this war, maybe it shouldn't be for for political reasons. I would not be surprised to see a bilateral alliance outside of NATO between yeah. Poland, who would remain in NATO, and Ukraine, which would not be in NATO, 
And that combination of a NATO standard Ukrainian military and Poland, uh, that's going to be... That's going to be the thing that Russia really fears, and it's going to be the thing that Vladimir Putin created. And that's your right angle on that, brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. Thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you next time.